Well, good morning again. Um, if you brought a Bible, we're going to be dancing between the Old and the New Testament. You'll see that in your bulletin. We'll be in Deuteronomy, uh, which is one of the first five books of the Bible. It'll be the fifth book. And then 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. Uh, before I read this, just a reminder that um, as we begin August, we are doing a topical series where we one, receive topics from you all, as you guys have emailed those into us beginning back in April, and um, that's just been a fun, uh, fun part of the year for, for me, I know. But I want to draw attention to something else. Some people might ask, well, you know, what's really the difference between a topical series and, and what you normally do, Ryan? Well, one, obviously we're getting a, a topic from you, but it's really in how we uh, address the text. Our, our um, uh, I would say the primary way that we address the text is exegetically. And so you'll hear me in the fall talk about going through a, a book of the Bible or a series where we can let the text give us the topics. And then my job is essentially to exegete the text. And what does it say? And what does it mean? In a topical series, it's not that you can't necessarily do that, but its design is different in that it's more broad, and you're trying to pull in texts that sort of support this idea or answer a question. And it's not that those are wrong ways to give sermons or anything. It's just not our tradition and not what we like to do because we believe that exegeting the text is, is uh, the best way to understand what it's saying and not just what I think it should say. Um, now, having said that, I don't want you to lose any confidence in what you're about to hear this morning. But I just think it's worth noting how we uh, have a couple different ways to do sermons. And um, of course, you can exegete in a topical series. I'm not saying you can't, uh, but it is a little different than what we're normal, normal to. So, uh, and this has happened. If this is your first time visiting Wallace and you know what the word exegetical means and you're hearing me give a topical sermon, I've had people get up and leave because that's not what they want to hear. And I just don't want that to happen for you because this is not our normal practice, although we do like to do it from time to time. So... Having said all that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, uh, found first in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 18, and then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, and then moving over to chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses to live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They have, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they, have them, they, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6-7, to the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word to us, your truth, that it is trustworthy and uh, that our hearts need it. And so I pray now that you would uh, treat our hearts as good soil, that you would make them good soil, uh, that uh, as the word goes out and as it enters that soil, that it would produce a fruit. Would you do this, that we would leave here changed people because of you. For your glory alone we ask, amen. So our first question for the August series, as you see in your bulletin, is, is tithing a New Testament command? Is tithing a New Testament command? And of course, with any question, there's always going to be questions behind the question. We've got to do our best to, to get at that. But, you know, what is a tithe just in general? Uh, it, it's a tenth, a tenth of something. And uh, whether you've grown up in the church or not, or we're familiar with um, you know, giving, uh, there's a tradition uh, in churches that sometimes they give a tenth uh, of your earnings. Um, sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's whatever you see fit. But we're all pretty much familiar with the practice of passing the plate. And it's there that sort of draws attention to this question, what am I supposed to put in there? Um, of course, some churches just leave boxes in the back for them to drop off their offering. Um, God does require us to give, but what this question is asking is how much? And uh, to look at that, um, I want us to see three sort of main, main points structuring our time, which is what tithing is and what the role of it was in the Old Testament. Second, I want to see what the New Testament says about tithing, and then I want to look at how Jesus shapes our giving, okay? Because as we ask the question, how much, we've got to actually back up and, 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 and examine is that really the right, the right question? And so hopefully by the end of our time here, uh, we will have uh, some understanding of what the, what the New Testament says about tithing. But let's take that first one. What tithing is and what, the role, it play, what role it played in the Old Testament. Tithing uh, in the Old Testament, and I, I didn't say this when I read the Deuteronomy text, but you might have caught it. But this is, this is the Lord speaking to Israel just as they are about to go take the land. So Deuteronomy ends, and then Joshua begins, and Joshua leads God's people into the land that he promised this generation. And it's on the basis of the land 
um, that we get the instruction or the command to tithe, which was always in grain or livestock, right? We think of tithing with money and dollars. That's not what this was about. Tithing here was always done with grain or livestock, the firstborn of all livestock. And there were really three things that sort of uh, became principles behind the purpose of tithing. First, the tithe was a way to acknowledge someone as king, and thus the one who both provided, uh, right, both the fields, but, and the, but the protection for those fields for one to live and to grow and to have life. But also as acknowledged that as king, all that I have belongs to you. The first time we read about a tithe isn't in uh, Deuteronomy or actually Numbers, which we'll look at. It's actually back in Genesis chapter 14 when Abram gave a tenth, the text says, of his spoils from victory to Melchizedek. And you could argue the same thing is happening back in chapter 4 when Abel brings uh, his firstborn from the flock to offer um, his best or most costly gift to the Lord while Cain did not. The point is, is that this idea of tithing, of bringing something uh, to someone to acknowledge their kingship, lordship, what have you, was a practice well before it was codified in the law. And it served to point to the fact that I acknowledge you as king over all things. It isn't until Moses and the giving of the law that God, what, institutes the tithe for Israel, which is tied to the land. And for what purpose? Well, we can go to Leviticus 27:30. It's a great text uh, uh, to read about for tithing. It's the last chapter of Leviticus, chapter 27, 30 to 33, but I'll, I'll read verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Again, reinforcing uh, who is king, who provided this, who created this, who does this belong to? And so while this practice began well before it was codified in the law, God puts it in his law for Israel, uh, for the way they are to live when they enter, again, the gift of all gifts, the promised land. If you tithe, you were saying this is the one who both provided this gift and whom all gifts belong. It is a way for Israel to follow that first commandment of I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. The tithe was the, uh, in one sense, the, the way that, that, that acknowledged that, okay? So that's the first, first uh, principle, if you will, behind what tithing, the, the role that tithing served in the Old Testament. The second thing, though, uh, was that the tithe was a way to provide for the Levites and the priests, all right? Well, who were they? Well, uh, the Levites, or the tribe of Levi, they were the only tribe in Israel who did not get a land inheritance. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, because land is everything in this agrarian society. And as we uh, move back into Joshua, as we're about to take the land and we take the land, uh, the latter half of Joshua is God dividing up the land per tribe and as their inheritance, right? And, and you got to think about like this, to, again, to have land is to exist. It's to have life. It is everything. To call it an inheritance is not overstating this. It's a big deal. But as you're thumbing through the chapters of Joshua, somebody gets left out. There's only 11 plots here. Where's the 12th? And this is where the tribe of Levi did not get a land inheritance. They instead were giving a specific and special responsibility over the temple, the sacrificial system, 
for how atonement would be made. They were the priests, where the priests came from. Priests didn't come from any other tribe but this tribe. So God called them to something unique. And so how are they going to provide for themselves? They're over here doing this thing that's keeping everybody from dying, essentially. They don't have time to work the fields. Well, this tithe, a portion of it, would go to the Levites and provide for the priests. In fact, Numbers 18 says that a tenth of the annual tithe will go to the priests since they did not have land given to them to grow anything. In other words, their inheritance was not the land, but a tithe of the tithe that all of Israel brought so that they would be provided for. Lastly, the third thing, the tithe in the Old Testament provided for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. In other words, it was a way in God's own economy of doing justice and mercy. When we look at Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 29, we read of the annual tithe again from the fields that everyone would bring their tenth. But then every year, every, or so, so every year, this tithe happened and that cared for the Levites as well. But every third year, so years three and six, that offering would go entirely to the Levites, but also uh, for those, uh, to, to care for those who were sojourners, as the text says, the fatherless and the widow. Thus the tithe of grain or the livestock those years was used for the sole purpose of bringing justice and mercy to the land, to God's people. Of course, every seventh year, uh, there was debt remission and the release of slaves, which furthered that practice. So broadly speaking, this is what tithing is and, and, and the role that it played in the Old Testament. It was a very, or it was a way for Israel to acknowledge that God was king, that he was the one who uh, both was the giver of all good things, who owned all things, uh, and whom all things belonged. And so we tithe to God, acknowledging his kingship. But it was also a way to provide for those who God had called to a unique uh, uh, calling, uh, a role of of, of leading his people in worship, and in this case, the ceremonial law of offering the sacrifices where the priests who came from the tribe of Levi who would offer those. Um, and then thirdly, it was a way for uh, justice and mercy to, to come about in the land to provide for those who didn't have anything, whether it be a sojourner passing through, whether it be a widow or, or the fatherless. As a whole, all of this instruction, though, points to one thing, and this is what I want you to catch in this first point, Everything belongs to God, period. Everything belongs to God, period. It's all his, and we are simply stewards of what he has given us, or should I say, gifted to us. We read Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 to 18. This is coming back to our text that I read just uh, this morning. This is why he says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You can't read that and not say that the word of God isn't relevant today. I mean, what a perfect text for us as Americans, as Westerners. I did it. It's mine. And then let's go on with life. No, 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 no. As we'll get to later, this is God's grace to us, for us to be reminded that all things belong to him, all things come from him. 
as our hearts, the greed of our hearts grows, he, he institutes this tithe so that our hearts will not cling to these things. This is the purpose of the tithe, right? It gets to the heart of it. Israel, will you trust me? That's what this is about, right? People of Wallace Presbyterian Church in 2023, will you trust me? Will you live as my people? For I will bring blessing to you like you can't imagine, God says to Israel. In other words, what God is trying to instill in Israel through the tithe is that everything comes from him, everything belongs to him, everything returns to him, everything is gift. And thus, I also want you to be like me. I want you to reflect the family likeness of your Father in heaven and be givers too. When Israel does not do this, right, when they neglect the tithe as is commanded in uh, Deuteronomy and Numbers in Deuteronomy, uh, which is more importantly neglecting the mercy and justice that that God calls for, he actually tells them in Malachi 3 that they're robbing God. That's how personal it is. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And why can we trust him? Because this is the God that kind of this is the kind of God that he is. He is a giver. He is a God who gives. And your tithe will be one of the ways that you not only remember this, but you grow in his likeness. But I want to add a third one because the text does. This is the tithe is, is, is to celebrate this, guys. It's to celebrate the fellowship you have with the Lord who provides you all things. If you look back in Deuteronomy 14, actually listen, um, wasn't one of your texts that you were asked to, to read this morning. Uh, listen to this, in, in the instruction of the annual tithe, notice that the tithe was brought to the festival when you read this text, probably Jerusalem, we'll touch on that in the festivals in weeks to come. Uh, but you were instructed to eat a tithe of your grain and drink a tithe of your wine and of your oil and of the firstborn of your flock, you are to enjoy this. Why? To rejoice before the Lord, verse 26. And get this, if your grain, if your, if your tithe of grain and livestock, if it was too much to bring with you because your journey was too long, you could actually convert that tithe, that grain or that livestock into money to carry it with you. So then what? So then listen to this, verse 26. So you can spend the money on whatever you desire. Does that sound like the God of the Old Testament? That you may spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, or strong drink. I want to know what that is. Whatever your appetite craves, the text says. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice You and your household. What's the point? The tithe wasn't some transaction between God and man and his people uh, that they, they begrudgingly gave him because this is the tax of what it means to live in this land. We just gotta pay the man. No, this collection is about celebration. It's about fellowship with God. Spend the money for whatever you desire because that's who I am. That's what fellowship with me is like. That's what this table points us to. Where are we headed? We're not going to float on clouds, as we've said before, and just play harps. We're going to a feast. And here, built into the system, he was giving Israel glimpses of this, how wonderful it is. Listen to Christopher White on this instruction to eat this meal. 
in the presence of the Lord. He says, it is a way of saying, it is a way, sorry, of acknowledging their source and their status as gifts of blessing from God. They are not, talking about the harvest and the firstborn, which would be their tithe, they are not mere products of the fertility of nature, still less the gift of any fertility god of Canaan. The allowance made for long-distance commuters only serves to reinforce the intention that the tithe should not be a solemn burden, but a joyful celebration. This is what is at the heart of the tithe. This is what tithing is. This is the role it played in the Old Testament, but this is what's behind it. Fellowship with God. Rejoicing with him as the one who not only owns all things, creates all things, but gives his people all things. Well, let's continue then. This is, this is the role in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does it say about tithing? Well, let's start in the Gospels, and we'll move quicker here. Uh, Jesus talks about tithing. He re- references it in Matthew 23 and in Luke 11, but it's in a confrontation with Pharisees, and he's criticizing them because uh, they're overlooking uh, the principle behind tithing, which is neglecting the poor and doing justice, which the tithe was uh, designed to support. In other words, it's clear that Jesus is referencing this tithe, uh, but Jesus, when he speaks of money, he doesn't command a, a tithe in the sense that the Old Testament does. He always talks about deeper things. Imagine that. He talks about our hearts. He talks about uh, how, you know, the power of money. He focuses on the motives of giving and the consequences of greed and, and, and living for self. Um, when Jesus talks about giving or he talks about money, it is never connected with the command to tithe. I'm sensitive where there, there are some who push back on this, and I don't, you know, I don't part of fellowship by any means with this, but uh, some would argue that uh, all, of, all of this is on top of the unspoken, that the tithe continues of 10%, you know, and so this is extra giving, and we'll see that in the, in the New Testament possibly as well, but there's just no place for all the opportunity in the world for Jesus to mention this, and he doesn't, and the same thing is with Paul in the New Testament. When we get to Acts and the epistles, uh, there's... there's, there, there's comments on giving over and over, even as we read today. And yes, there, 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 is, there could be, um, you know, the understanding that, that, that the Macedonia collection was on top of the tithe. But it still begs the question, why has Paul never used the word tithe? If you notice that in the reading. He never points back to it. He never calls it, you know, the gathering of mercy tithe or instructs us in these ways. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, Verses 1 to 4, we read, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, Galatia so you are, are also to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you uh, credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And again, more passages like this where we are instructed, uh, where Paul instructs the churches to give, yet doesn't refer to the tithe. Which leads many, and myself included, to conclude that the command to tithe, the 10% of your resources, um, is no longer binding in the New Testament. However, the principle behind tithing is. 
And should this make us sort of relax and feel like, oh, good, the pastor's not asking for a tenth anymore, um, hold that thought as we move to the New Testament uh, or, or move to Jesus and see how he shapes our giving, which I want to turn to now. Okay, so how much you know, am I to give, Ryan? This looks a little vague here. You're sort of taking away my, my wonderful mathematical equation of here's my 10%. I know I'm right with God kind of thing. If it's not commanded, what does this principle thing mean? How much should I give? Should I give 10%? Should I, should I not give 10%? And the answer is yes. You have to look to how Jesus shapes our giving. This is my final point. For some of us, giving 10% of our income to the Lord will meet the principles of tithing, but for others it will not. And the question that becomes is, how should I think about my giving? And all throughout the New Testament, our giving, just like anything else, we could point to our sexuality, we could point to our tongues, we could point to anything, the way we speak about each other. All of that gets shaped now through Jesus. Tremper Longman, who concludes that the Old Testament tithe is not binding, has this to say about how Jesus shapes our giving. He says, rather than thinking about these biblical theological observations on the tithe, how they relieve the Christian of giving a tenth or their, of their income to God's work, one needs to wonder whether a tenth is sufficient. If the Old Testament believers gave a tenth, what would the Christian give who is the recipient of God's grace and mercy in Jesus? There is no legal formula here. We should give out of our gratitude and joy in the Lord's work in our life. See, the New Testament steers us away from the legalism that our hearts do desire. Just give me a number, Jesus, please. At the same time, though, uh, the other ditch that we avoid, but sometimes fall in of licentiousness, of not doing anything, is avoided by pointing to Jesus specifically. That as children of God who have been given all things, we might take on the family likeness to become more and more generous as, as Jesus has demonstrated in his own life. More joyful in our giving, but certainly more sacrificial as well as Christ was and he is to us as he is to us. That's how much Christians are instructed to give. Generously, sacrificially, and joyfully. And those are the three things that I'll leave you with this morning. Let me touch on those three briefly with the rest of our time generously. If we look now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and we'll go to 10 and 11, Paul says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. A great, a great place to talk about the tithe, but he doesn't. If anything, that verse right there is, is, is what the New Testament ethic is now for giving, for generosity. In other words, Give as God has given. And when we ask, how much should I give? That is not a bad question. But the goal is reflecting Christ. It's reflecting our creator. It's reflecting our savior, who is a God that is generous, that gives generously from the very beginning, from creating the cosmos. He is giving of himself to create all that we enjoy and see. And even when man falls in the garden, Right? And all is, is gone. He continues to give and planning for their salvation and their redemption all the way to the expense of giving his son Jesus, who Jesus, the son of God, models the father's own way of self-giving love by going to the cross, laying his life down sacrificially for those who didn't deserve it, couldn't deserve it, but does it anyway. 
All of this can be summarized as a God who uh, is a giver. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave. This is who we are to become. As generous as our Father, therefore the better question as it pertains is giving, is am I growing more and more like God, like Jesus, which is to say, am I becoming more generous? And it's okay if that sounds legalistic. <laughs> am I becoming more gener generous? Am I becoming someone who more and more is reflecting the family likeness and generosity? Am I someone who, 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 who has gone from this with my possessions and my wallet, whatever it might look like, because it's always going to look different to everybody else in this room, to just to this, to this, to this. And it could be your finances. It could be your children. It could be your retirement. It could be your work. It could be, every, are you holding that tightly? Or are you able to give it away? Because he has graciously given you these things. And we are going to trust him as he has called Israel to trust him. And as Jesus demonstrates fully that the one true Israelite of what it actually means to abide by the law of giving himself fully for the sake of others. This is what we're called to. Bruce Waltke in his commentary on Genesis says this about the tithe. He says, our practice should reflect the abundant generosity called for in the New Testament. But all too often, and this one got me, Christians tithe in order not to give too much. And pastors teach tithing to assure that people give it all. Guilty. Guilty. That's not the gospel. We're just saying about it, right? Come without money, eat and drink. I don't want this to be a place where you are guilted into giving. I want this to be a place where you are so overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, it, it, it doesn't even matter to you what that might be for you. Are we growing in generosity? So much more to speak of about that. Let us move to the next one, sacrificially. Jesus shapes us into being generous and sacrificial givers as he is to us. Everything about Jesus' life is sacrificial. Everything. It is him dying to himself for you until he, until he literally goes and he dies for you. And what that means for us and our giving is that it should not just be generous, but it should be sacrificial or costly, which is the Old Testament word. The Old Testament tithing, as we mentioned, of the first fruits, but also of the firstborn and livestock, that was not easy. That was costly. And for those that didn't grow up in an agrarian culture, you did not know if there was another harvest coming behind that first one. You did not know if, if there was a drought coming on. You, you, have, you have what appears to be food for the rest of the year, salvation. And the Lord says, nope, that's mine. Because you're not going to trust in the work of your hands. You're not going to trust in that first fruit. You're going to trust in me. Is that easy? No. That, the firstborn uh, of your livestock? Are you kidding me? And I could even like enter into, um, you know, comparing other farms, right? Like, man, I wish I could get to this many whatever. But now I got to take this one, this one, and this one and offer it. And the greed just starts to boil. This is, no, this is no different than what we wrestle with today. Is it costly? 
Jay Sklar, in his commentary on Leviticus, talks about giving that is costly as the first fruits were, saying, poor Christians then may do this by giving less than 10%, since any gift will be costly. Wealthy Christians may give 10% and still not be doing this, since 10% is not costly at all. It is David in Samuel 24, 24, who once said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. How are you growing in sacrificial giving? How are you growing in your generosity? How are you growing in sacrificial giving? And not just with your material resources, but with your time and your gifts and your talents as well. It's here that I wish all, that, I wish that all Jesus asked for was 10%. <laughs> um, I can anticipate, I can anticipate what some of you might be thinking of just, okay, when do I stop? And that's another conversation for another day, but that needs to be talked about. And that's, that's a pastoral issue. Because we can, we can run that in the back of our minds of just, wait, 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 I got to keep, this is not sacrificing enough. This is not being generous enough. I got to go, 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 go. Where does that stop? And that needs to be talked about. So if that's where you are, let me encourage you to put the brakes on that for just a minute and stay with me here with just, here, here is the New Testament ethic at this point. Generously, sacrificially, lastly, joyfully. Jesus shapes our giving by bringing joy into our lives through giving our material things away. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, the point is this. This is what we read earlier. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It is a paradox of sorts. Ask any child... uh, Christmas Eve, um, that it's a paradox to believe that it's better to give than receive. This is something that we actually have to experience. We don't grow up like this. Um, Our hearts, our hearts that naturally want to keep and hold on to things, if I come back to this this visual metaphor, we think they will either be happy, this is where they will be happy, it could be a host of other reasons, but the true thing here, and this is what, where, where, where the grace of the tithe of, of giving comes in, is that there is no joy in this. There's no joy in this. There's only joy in this. In a recent article from The Brew, it pulled together stories and statistics from lottery winners, mostly those who won over a million dollars, right? All of us at some point or time or another, have said, boy, I wish I could just win the lottery. That would make things a lot easier. Uh, but the consensus from these winners was that their life was much better before they won it, before they won the lottery. In fact, more than half go on to say that they wish they never won the lottery. <laughs> and why? Well, one, statistically speaking, you are more likely to commit homicide, drug overdose, file for bankruptcy, as ironic as that is, or commit suicide. Billy Bob Harrell Jr. from Texas won $31 million in 97. A year le- or two years later, he committed suicide in the wake of incessant requests for money from friends and family. He left, his, his, he left a note saying, winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. This tells me two things. One, what I think I want will often kill me. 
We underestimate the power of money and the pull that it has not only on our hearts, but on the hearts of others around us. But two, God's command to give and be gracious because he is generous, to be generous because he is generous, excuse me, is actually a grace to us and that it frees our sick hearts from becoming trapped by greed, which will devour you. The best thing God could do for me and for you then is change our hearts so that we become what? As ones made in his image, not takers, but givers. Not just generous and sacrificial givers, but joyful givers because we are convinced that life is not found in these things, but only in Jesus who supplies us with all things. I quote it often, Hebrews 12, 2, says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that joy? It was pleasing the Father, but it was also getting you. You've heard me say that. It was also getting you. Jesus gave up everything and in return received everything. And you, friends, are his prized possession. So is it a joy to give for us? Not is it easy. <laughs> is it a joy? Are you still enslaved physically and emotionally to your money or to your things? Or have you tasted the living waters that Christ offers in himself where you are set free from that bondage? And that may not be a once and for all done thing. That may be a, 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 a small little freedoms of, from that bondage throughout the rest of your life. Because if not, let me invite you to start giving. And to start somewhere, people, uh, when I do premarital counseling, you know, we talk about budgets and we talk about giving. And, you know, hey, great, start at 10%. But if you can't, give five bucks, give 10 bucks, give 20 bucks, I don't know, whatever it is. Because if you don't start, you won't start once you have money. We all know that. <laughs> and then increase that on an annual basis or whenever you can to move in the direction of generosity, of sacrificial giving, and joyful giving, where the Lord, in, 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 its, in its own way, tests us, to, to, to test his generosity, but his trustworthiness, that, 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 that it really is better to give than it is to receive, that that is where joy is found. How are we experiencing joy in our giving? And I would also add, not just giving to the church, but give to other organizations. Just be a giver. Be a giver. This is how Jesus shapes our giving. He makes us generous, sacrificial, and joyful givers. I'm interested, when I think about Wallace, I'm not interested in your 10%. I'm interested in your heart and whether it is growing in generosity and sacrificial giving and in joy. Those are the things I'm interested in. And as we might compare and, and look across the aisles at ways, all of us are in different places for that generosity and that sacrificial giving. It's going to look different in one household as it does in the other. But what is this, what, what, where are we united? What are we all looking to for this? Jesus, our first love. Which begs the question, are you growing in your love for him? Are you enamored with him? If I could use such a word. I'll close with reflecting on Luke 7, uh, the dinner uh, that, that Jesus has with Simon, um, the Pharisee. And in the midst of that dinner, the woman comes in and, and she begins to, to, to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair and then to take this ointment that she hung around her neck and poured it all over his feet. 
And we know about that, para, about that little occurrence that, that, that Simon is, is not okay with what's going on. And it draws Jesus to uh, give this parable of two debtors. There's, there's one who had uh, a little bit of debt, and there's one who had a lot of debt, and both were forgiven. Which one will love me more? To which Jesus, or to what Simon says, the one who, I suppose, gave the most, or had the, had the most debt taken away. Yes. For Jesus, getting that Simon, it is an issue of love. If you don't think you are forgiven much, you won't love much. And that was the connection to what was going on there in the room. But what gets missed is, is what she's actually doing with that ointment jar, which we have talked about, I think, but this is her livelihood. It's her identity. This is how she made her living. This, is, this was how she uh, drew in her crowds. It was the most expensive, costly thing that she had. And she turns it up and empties the whole thing, right? And the goal here is not for us to go find our most costly thing and empty it up, although it might be. Why does she do that? It's not just because she knows that she's forgiven. She knows exactly what she's been given in Jesus. She is enamored with him. Would our love for Jesus do the same? Make us more into his likeness of people who are givers generously, sacrificially, and joyfully. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us so well, that you build things into our lives to protect us from the very thing that will devour us, and that is greed, that is the material possessions that we have, the things we look to, that we trust more in those things than anything else. And when we give, what we are demonstrating and practicing is that we are saying, I am I'm willing even, I'm longing to trust more in you than in these things. And wherever we are with that here, with however much amount we are giving, <laughs> would you continue to instill in us the joy of what that feels like and means to live out of uh, your provision, your sovereignty, your care, and not this here, uh, these material things, which you have graciously given us. Will we grow in you all the more because of that? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.